Podcast talking college football after week nine, before week 10, after a week that gave us quite a bit of content to talk about throughout this week and hopefully moving forward. Another very revealing week across college football for several different reasons, both the small and big picture, both on and off the field with some positive COVID tests and now a couple of seasons that are being threatened by that. And now here we're talking on Sunday, so turning the calendar to November, the Pac 12 is back this weekend. And on Saturday night, as I was trying to think about what we were going to talk about here, I just started writing down questions, either for this show or future shows, uh, just my general curiosities, because even though, like I said, I think it was a revealing week with a lot of answers, I think we were handed maybe more questions, too, after week nine, moving forward before week 10. And before now, we're just, so first playoff rankings coming Tuesday, November 17th, so just two weeks from this Tuesday, Looking over the Week 10 and Week 11 schedules, a lot to happen before then. Florida, Georgia in Week 10, Clemson, Notre Dame, Stanford, Oregon. We also have BYU, Boise State on Friday night. Hopefully we get Wisconsin, Michigan in Week 11. So we're going to touch on a lot of stuff here today. The top question on my list, the Pac-12 is coming back. With Oklahoma State's loss all but officially eliminating the Big 12, and I get it, you like math. Math says the Big 12 is still in. But that's part of my question to start here. We haven't talked about the Pac-12 at all recently. I went back and looked, and I think the last episode we even had more than a mention was the first one of October. So it's been about a month since we've actually talked about the Pac-12, and you've harped on the catch-up game for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten also to a lesser extent. Now with the Pac-12 coming back this weekend with Oklahoma State's loss, with Wisconsin's season very much in jeopardy with the SEC East champion, very likely headed toward a two-loss season uh, without probably, barring some sort of shocking upset in the Big Ten East, we're not going to have a one-loss, non-divisional, impressive champion coming from the Big Ten East. A lot of other items there. So again, where are you with the Pac-12? And are you less worried about the psychology of catching up in the playoff picture now? Or are you still at the point where, I think, if I recall correctly, when we were talking about that, I think you said, first of all, you don't think that there's a team from the Pac-12 that can even get into playoff contention based purely on talent. I'm fully aboard with that. And I think that your second point then was the psychology of it. How are you weighing those two things? And is the psychology less important now that we've seen some of these developments across college football? Uh, I don't know, man. It just feels like it, it, all of the things you said. Uh, do you do you have anything more you wanted to add to that? Because that, that was quite the uh, throat I can go there. for like two or three more minutes and just... Yeah. And, predict what you were going to say ahead of time if you wanted me to uh I, well you know the first one of the first things i saw this morning when i woke up and was like al why does my head hurt so much right i drank a lot last night um 
So after You're the after man, I, you are the man. After that happened, do you ever just wake up and find a bunch of old bay on your floor for no reason and have no idea how it got there? Is that totally. what happened in your house? Totally. Yep. Got a good eight hours last night. Feeling good. So one of the first things I read was uh, Heather Denich's. I, I don't know if you want to call it a column or a recap story or whatever, but she kind of was taking up your uh, idea from a couple weeks ago on this podcast that. Who's in better position right now, the Big 12 with everything going on, or the Pac-12 that hasn't Oh, God, we were yet? so far ahead of that game. Heather Denich, big fan of the podcast. Thanks for listening, Heather. Uh, she kind of took that idea and ran with it, and I think it's an idea that's aged really well from you, that there's so much chaos in the Big 12 that up until the moment where the Pac-12 kicks off, they are kind of in a better position. And I don't think I saw it all the way at first as clearly as you did. But I do think that's true. Now, as soon as the Pac-12 kicks off, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You can be a fan of either conference or a team in either conference. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't know that any of those teams in either conference at this point has a likely or realistic shot at getting into the playoff. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but... Like, let's do what's realistic here. Is it realistic that either any any team in either conference gets into the top four at this point? I'm going to say no. Like I, I got the ire of a bunch of Texas people on Twitter yesterday because there was a guy saying, well, you know, Texas technically still controls its own destiny if it wins out. Like, okay, I get that that's theoretically, factually true, but... Are we dealing with theoretical stuff or are we dealing with likely things? I don't think that's even factually true, honestly. I think well, that in, in it terms could of the Big true. 12 championship, it was. Oh, in t- to win. So he's saying that if they win out, they can win the Big 12 championship, or if they win out, they. If they, they win out, they're destiny. in the Big 12 championship. Which oh, is yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Technically true, but sure. when you're. When you're 2-2 two and two in conference, so before the Oklahoma State game yesterday, you're 2-2 two and two in conference. Your wins are. Are, you've played three of the four bottom teams in the conference, and you're two and two. They just haven't played Kansas, but they played TCU, they played Baylor, they played Texas Tech. Why are we talking about you going five and zero oh against the, the five best remaining teams in the conference? It's like what we talked about before the season. With those five games, now one of which they've won, there's a better chance that Texas would have gone like one and four in those games than five and zero. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like before the season saying, "Well, UTEP." If they run the table, they could be in the New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, yep. That that is one hundred percent true. We might need to be talking about Coastal Carolina running the table. That's that I'm could happen. Of, I'm kind of I don't like polls and I don't really care about them, but we we both agree that polls matter for perception. Yes. And I think that this whole like disrespect thing is always totally overblown, but there are a lot of like people that I respect that are actually openly wondering why Coastal Carolina is ranked that highly. I can't name, I think they're 20 going into this weekend, and we'll see where they, yeah, where they, they land. I can't name 20 better teams than them in college football right now. Can you? And we're not going to do this right now, but I, I kind of want to play the disrespect card. Like, I don't I don't know that there are, if we are putting, like, I know App State hasn't been ranked that highly last year was the first year that a Sunbelt team actually made the playoff rankings. But if App State is getting that kind of credit, I have a hard time not saying that this Coastal Carolina team is just as good or almost as good as any app state that they app state team that they've put out over the last seven or eight years. So why 
I, again, I can't find 20 teams in, in, in college football that are better than Coastal Carolina. That is my point. That spot where they played Georgia Southern last week, where they had just gotten into the rankings and now you're coming home to play Southern, like seven or eight times out of 10, a team loses that game because that's right. just prime letdown spot. Right. And then they they win that game. It's kind of a gritty, defensively minded game. They get a late uh, they get a late touchdown to kind of push it out of reach, 28-14. Then they come back this week and just destroy Georgia State on the road 51 to 0. So I mean, they're they're good. So, you know, that's High Motor Podcast. You're home for Coastal Carolina football talk. I mean, we talk about things we jumped on early. We jumped on that after the week 1 or whatever week they started in calling this the official podcast of the Sunbelt Conference. I think what you're finding out is that we're just 3 ahead weeks of ahead of everybody else. Going back to the Pac-12, and we can talk about all day the hypotheticals of what they were to do if a team were to be undefeated. I'm fine with having that conversation because with this small of a schedule, anything can happen, and I don't really know. Typically in the Pac-12, it gets shit on, but I don't think people understand that the middle and like whatever you want to call it, second, third tier teams in the Pac-12, like three down to 10, has actually been pretty good, pretty stable over the last decade, even though the Pac-12's playoff struggles get shit on. I think we are missing that point. I don't know that they have that this year, but going back to my point, even if you want to play the hypothetical game, is there a team in the Pac-12 that you are positive is a top 15 team in college football right now? Because I don't see it, and because I don't see it, I have very little confidence that a team that is outside the top 15 or even outside the top 20 in terms of a, a purely good, talented top 20 football team can actually run the table and do that. Therefore, I think the hypothetical is kind of stupid, kind of like what you're saying with Texas. We can have that conversation all day if Texas were to run the table and get to the Big 12 championship game. That's fine. I don't even want to disagree with that. But Texas has given us nothing to show that they can do that. And going into the Pac-12 season, I don't see a surefire top 15 or even a top 20 team that could even pull that off. No, uh, I, I don't. I mean, I think US, USC is the obvious like candidate, but would I be willing to swear that USC is a top? Fuck no, absolutely not. So I, I, it seems like they don't have that player that can play at the top. And I, I totally agree with you about the depth of the Pac-12. Like that's that's the thing that makes the Pac-12 and the Big 12 both really interesting is that the depth of those conferences is interesting to watch. The Pac-12 doesn't really have a Kansas either. I mean, I, I think this year you're going to make the case that Colorado is that. But historically, the last 10 years, they haven't had that. So it's it's an interesting top-to-bottom conference. I, I feel like we're constantly carrying weight for these top-to-bottom conferences that are way more interesting but don't always have the contender at the top. And in the Big 12 this year, you're seeing what happens to that ecosystem when Oklahoma doesn't have like the surefire top five team that they've had the last couple of years. It's kind of a free-for-all. How much clarity do you think we're going to get? So going into the, the first playoff rankings coming November 17th, that'll be three days after the Pac-12's week two. Like Oregon, for example, if anybody's high on Oregon, it'll be three days after they played Washington State. I don't have the USC schedule pull up right now, but three days after these teams are now 2-0 and or 1-1, and but a 1-1 and team isn't going to be relevant in the playoff rankings. How much clarity... Do you expect to get, when we get those rankings on November 17th, do you think they're going to give some love to, to a Pac-12 team? Let's say that Oregon pummels Stanford at home. They go to Washington State and pummel, and pummel the Cougars. They win both games by 30 points. 
Do you think that if if the playoff committee ranks Oregon like in the top 12 or top 14, do you think that's enough? Because I think that's highly possible that they'll be in the top 12, top 14 in that ballpark, maybe even a little bit higher. Do you think we'll get enough clarity with that? Because they're not going to tell us shit when if that does happen and the playoff chair is sitting there. I can't even remember who the playoff chair is. I've been so so tuned out in this playoff thing thus far. When they sit there, they're not going to give us anything. It's just going to be purely political and ambiguous statements telling us nothing. But do you think their rankings themselves will give us enough clarity if there is a catch-up psychology component to this? I think Barda is the chair from Iowa. Is he? I think so. I'll look um, it up. I, don't, I, I personally have a really hard time seeing how you could rank 2-0 Oregon with wins over Stanford, who I think is going to be good this year, certainly better than last year. Probably not like some great team. Yeah, but like what, top 40, top 30-ish? Yeah, top 40. Don't you think it's more likely that Stanford could get ranked in the top 12 if they go on the road and beat Oregon? I think that's a more likely path. Like, I I feel like you need almost an unlikely candidate if you're looking for somebody from the Pac-12 to jump up there with two wins, no losses. You need somebody that kind of comes out of nowhere. Because it seems like the public perception of this, and I'm guessing that will translate to the playoff committee, is that Oregon and USC, despite Oregon's departures, those are probably the two top, top two teams in terms of public perception. I haven't looked at it. I wonder if there's a team that plays Oregon, USC in back-to-back weeks, and that's what you're talking about. Even if that is like an Arizona or Arizona State, I'm not picking them to go 2-0. and But if that were to happen, do you think that what you've talked about, the psychology of catching up, would just be too much? Or would it be kind of that shock factor that has applied to the Heisman Trophy race where we all latch on to these guys that basically come out of nowhere and win the Heisman Trophy? Do you think there's kind of that factor involved with that at all? I still think it's too unlikely, but the only idea that I could think of is you have to have the shock factor. You have to come out of nowhere, run the table in the Pac-12, get a couple like real, you know, beat some bad team by 60, beat a really good team, like just going away, jump all over them in the first half, be up four touchdowns at halftime and kind of, kind of cruise in the second half. Like you're going to need something to go your way in a big way because it just feels like as we've talked about before, it just feels institutionally like there is too much wind against the Pac-12 coming in this late in the season. All right, let's move on. But really quickly, I, to answer my question, I just asked. So no team plays USC and Oregon in back-to-back weeks. Like Arizona State goes to USC and they get Cal at home. So maybe if they go to Los Angeles and look really, really good, a team like that could hop up uh, kind of what you were saying. Let's move on to the Big 12 Going back to something that we talked about, I think it was in our college football predictions episode, some sort of hot seat question about the Big 12. And you said you thought the most likely Big 12 coaching change is actually Oklahoma State, not because of all the OAN stuff, not because of what Mike Gundy has said, but because where are the excuses now for them going into a season if, and this was a huge if from you, and it actually has turned out, if Oklahoma just isn't that good, if Texas isn't that good, if nobody else comes up. So where are the excuses now for them that that actually did happen? And not that Oklahoma State is actually making any or really have made any real excuses for not getting over the hump this year and previous years, but you said that, and what you said has happened, the window was there for them, and they completely shit the bet on Saturday. That They had that game won. Minus, I mean, take out one of those turnovers. You know, that's a stupid game to play and say if they didn't have a turnover, they would have won that game. But I thought they were 
a substantially better team than Texas minus the turnover. So now that has happened, what are you making of Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State that they had this giant opportunity to run the table, made the college football player for the first time, and they totally blew it? Yeah, the idea there was, hey, what if what if the road is totally open in front of them and they mm-hmm. just trip over their own feet? And that's kind of what's happened with the Big 12 this year. Oklahoma took a step back, which is kind of what I f- foresaw when I envisioned this scenario for them. Texas has kind of been Texas of the last couple years. Like, they don't suck, but, you know, they're losing some games they should probably win. And you've got Kansas State, who's good, but probably not great. You've got Iowa State, who's good, but probably not great. You know, there's some other teams there. Oklahoma State, with what they have on paper, should win this conference. They should, I don't want to say dominate this conference, because that's rare in the Big 12. But they, they should win. They should win these games. They should beat teams they're better than. And if if it doesn't happen like that, isn't there this sense with a coach who's been there for 15 plus years, hey, if, if we didn't happen this year, when's it going to happen? So is it does it get stale after this? And do, do the powers that be, you know, the, the, the Pickens estate go, hey, let's, let's maybe look at making a change here and bringing in some fresh blood. And, and they're not there yet. Because Oklahoma and Texas both have two conference losses. So Oklahoma State is now in that, you know, in that top packed with Kansas State and Iowa State of one loss teams in the conference. But their margin for error is running out. And if they take another loss, uh, then it's going to get into this massive meat grinder of tiebreakers. And it's, it could very easily go in somebody else's direction. So it feels like that could definitely happen. I think that's on the table. And when you look at what they have left on their schedule, uh, they got to go to Manhattan next week. They still have Bedlam. Uh, They've got to go to TCU, which I think they should win. They got to go to Baylor, which I think they should win. Uh, But I think I thought they should have won at home yesterday versus Texas. So maybe maybe even those you can't write off. TCU sure looked awfully good yesterday in the first half. So maybe they, you know, they're they're always going to be capable of jumping up and, and making something happen at home. It feels like they still have one of the inside tracks, but it also feel like feels like there's still a lot of landmines potentially left in front of them. And yeah, if they drop one or two more conference games, I think what I said is totally on the table that they could they could kind of mutually go, man, if it didn't happen this year, when is this going to happen? Maybe we make a change. And I asked the question, you know, big, big picture, talking about college football playoff, and I think that's initially how we brought it up in the college football predictions episode because you did pick Oklahoma State to make the playoff, and we had said if it's not going to happen this year with what you think maybe Oklahoma would be down Texas, like you said, but shrinking it a little bit to what you just said at the very end of your conversation, they still have four of their last five games on the road, Kansas State and Oklahoma, two very losable games at TCU, a very losable game. I think they beat Texas Tech and Baylor pretty comfortably But finishing with three regular season losses is not off the table in a year in which we're going to get to this in a second, but I think there's still a very, very strong argument that Oklahoma State is the best team in this conference on paper and on the field. So shrinking that from the big, big picture of the playoff to if this team doesn't even make the Big 12 championship game, I think that I, I think pathetic is a strong word. But how big the window is for Oklahoma State right now, and they don't even make the Big 12 championship game. Like I said, like excuse me, like you said, 
if you can't do it, I mean, when is this going to happen? Because I, I am starting to lose a little bit of confidence. Like I mentioned a couple of times that Lincoln Riley can put together a, a full, complete team. But if you're not doing it this year, at what point do you think that you're going to get over the hump and do it? And Oklahoma State has proven their commitment to Gundy with extensions, wanting him back when he wanted to leave multiple times. He's making a whole shit ton of money. They have good resources, but they're still in bumfuck Oklahoma, not a great recruiting ground right around them. So I understand it's not like a, a top 10 or a top 15 job in college football. And I don't think that the playoffs should be the expectation at Oklahoma State. But I think that an annual appearance in the Big 12 championship game should be the expectation. And they're not even going to do that this year, potentially. I don't know who they would hire. Like, I don't know what level of job this is. I actually have to sit down and look at it. But getting to the, the one when I texted you last night where I said, could you even rank the top five teams in the Big 12 right now? And I think that there's an argument for Oklahoma State being on top of that. But if they're not one, isn't that kind of pathetic this year? So going to my question, who do you have in your top five right now if you had to rank the top five teams in the Big 12? And if you don't have Oklahoma State, what level of pathetic is that for you? I really have no idea. I'm fascinated by this question of how do we, who's in the top five of the Big 12? I'm fascinated by it because it seems so obvious and yet I can't figure it out. I, and I think it would be not that hard for every other of the nine conferences to do that. You would have variations, clearly. I'm sure we could do this and ask 100 people for a bunch of different variations we would probably disagree with. But it's the fact that you sit down and do this. I wrote out three and I could probably have four or five more variations. I don't even know, and my arguments aren't even that strong, and you could put something out there that I don't even have, and I don't think I would have an argument against that. That's why I asked you the question, because I don't even know where to start with this. I think the top six is easy. There's, I think for me, there's a clear break-off after six. The top six and the bottom four, I think that's easy. So just like going through here line by line, and I'm just looking at the conference standings. Iowa State, I think, is in there. I don't think they do anything super well, and I don't think they do anything really poorly. But I and think honestly, I thought the second half of the Kansas game was kind of concerning. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Kansas State, like good defense, good special teams. The offense is a problem, and it's been a problem, but they've kind of gotten away with it because if you look at who they played before they went to Morgantown this past week, they played Kansas, blowout. They went to TCU, won by a touchdown. They played Texas Tech, and then they have that massive comeback win over Oklahoma. But since, you know, since they have moved to the backup quarterback, the offense just hasn't been that good, and it finally bites them this weekend. Well, you know, we talked about the line. Like, I, that was such an obvious read when you see West Virginia minus three and a half. You have to go, you have to bet against Kansas State at that. I mean, that was, that was just the easiest read in the world. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think, you know, problems aside, they have to be in there. Oklahoma, I think they're putting some things together. I I think they they're they're in there. They're in there. Uh, Texas, I don't think you cannot put them in there after they win at Oklahoma State. But I mean, I, I think with Ellinger too, you have to put them in there. But I mean, man, they find ways to look so unimpressive. And then West Virginia, it's like. Hey, when they're good, they're actually pretty good. But how how do you I mean, I, I guess you could say this about more than one Big 12 team. How do you lose at Texas Tech? You're not even ever in control of that game at all. You're constantly playing catch up. 
and then you turn around and absolutely smash the first place team. It's they're so like bipolar. I don't think you can put West Virginia in there even when when they look right. They definitely look like fuck top five. They, I mean, they look like a top three team yesterday, but they're so bipolar you can't put them in there. Give me one. Jeez, oh, I mean, this there is seems a- to be like a lot of obligation picks in here. I, I it's almost yeah. like Texas is an obligation pick because. Like, if you want to make the argument that Texas is the best team in the conference, I'm going to disagree with you, but I, yeah, there's, an, think, yeah. there's an argument, I think, to be had, but there's also an argument that Texas is six. Right. Their that's, defense, that, that's kind it, of the problem Their here. defense is not good. You don't really trust their coaching decisions, and Ellinger has to bail them out of too much stuff. But he does bail them out of a lot of stuff. So you have and to then, give Ellinger credit for that. Right. So that's one piece of the obligation. And then, like, I mean, there are several here, but like you said with West Virginia— after last week, I'm not putting them in. Excuse me, two weeks ago, Texas Tech, I'm not putting them in here. But then after last week, you have the obligation to put them in here. So go, anyways, going back to it, the one that I feel the most comfortable with my, my top five here, I still think that Oklahoma is the best team in the conference. I think Oklahoma State's the second best team in the conference. Then I have Texas 3, Iowa State 4, West Virginia 5. And then if we were to go beyond that, I would have K-State 6. You've got K-State 6. You know what though, with with the quarterback situation, that might be right. That that's what I want to make sure we're doing here. This is what the team that they're putting on the field right here. Yeah. Skylar Thompson at Kansas State. Yes, they are a top five team. They don't win that game yesterday. You watch more of that game than I did. Even with Skylar Thompson, they're not winning that game. But Skylar I watched Thompson the whole thing, Kansas, baby. Beers to the face. Skylar Thompson, Kansas State is a top five team. There's no debate on that. Do you have them in the top five even without Thompson on the field? Now, you know, now that you may clarify that for me, that, not not that I didn't understand that before, but now that I hear it and see it, I think that's right. I think you have to put him at six. As much as we like the special teams and the defense and the climbing factor and all that, this is the Big 12. And if you have below average play at quarterback, you are really going to struggle to win games. Who do you have at the top of yours? I think it's still Oklahoma State. As As unimpressed as I've been... And I mean, go through their schedule now. This is not a small sample size. This is two months. The unimpressive win over Tulsa. That West Virginia game where if you watched it, I get that the final score is 27-13. That was a shit show from both of those teams. And I can't believe the final score was two touchdowns different. It, they both looked absolutely terrible. They beat the crap out of Kansas. Most teams have done that. The Baylor game gets canceled. They, they, they beat Iowa State 24-21. I don't think it was that close. I think it was a little wider than that, but still kind of a narrow-ish win. And then they lose at home to Texas. They, and then, as we've said, four of the last five on the road. Right now, I feel like I, I have to put them one because I don't trust anybody else. But, I mean, talk about an uninspiring one. I don't trust Purdy and what Iowa State has done. I'm certainly not going to put Texas's defense up there. Maybe you're right to put Oklahoma there, even though they're, they're a two-loss team already. It seems like they're figuring some stuff out. I'm I I'm always going to trust their offensive line. They have the best offensive line coach in college football. It's I, it's almost it's a mess. Like, yeah. What, what I said, we're doing that this year, and I don't like to be the guy that says, "Well, they've done it in the past." But I still, because of what they've done in the past, I still have more trust in Lincoln Riley to figure it out. Yes, I'm openly questioning if he can put together a full a full complete football team, especially on defense. I get all that. But I still have trust in Lincoln Riley to do it. And I think what we're going to see the second half of the season will reflect that. 
on the field, I still have Oklahoma 1, Oklahoma State 2. So we agreed that it's 1-2, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, correct? I think so, yeah. And then do you have Texas 3 or do you have Iowa State or West Virginia or K-State at 3? That's where I don't know what to do with. Because Texas yesterday, they looked, I mean, they looked fine. I kind of go back to the Indiana-Penn State game where Indiana got that win, but they didn't look they didn't look good doing it. Like, I thought Penn State still looked like the better team. That's what I saw yesterday. I thought Oklahoma State still looked like the better team. They had so many unforced errors. And Texas didn't even, like, look bad. Indiana didn't look bad in that Penn State game. Texas didn't look bad yesterday. Therefore, I don't want to dock them because, as you've said so many times, at some point, a win has to mean a win. We have to give credit for it, and we'll give them credit for that. But I, I just don't know. It's almost like we have nobody at one. And then two, three is Oklahoma State if you want to put them whichever whichever way you want to put them. And then there's no four, and then we just drop down to five. It seems like we have very clear cutoffs. So we're just skipping spots now. Can, can we do this? West Virginia plays Texas in Austin next week. The winner of that game is three. Can we Can we punt to next week? Are we allowed to do that? Yeah, I want to see what Iowa State does, though. I I agree with you. I think that... And part this of me kind feels of, like we're disrespecting Iowa State. Like, well, this, they're tied this almost kind of goes back into what you talked about before the season. After, or excuse me, it was after the Louisiana game where you're like, guys, it's Iowa State. Stop overrating them. They almost became like this super underrated program to this popular, trendy, overrated pick. And Brock Purdy is kind of the epitome of that because I, there's nothing wrong. Like Brock Purdy is a, a good quarterback. He is... I haven't ranked the quarterbacks in college football, but I would imagine he's a top 20 to 25 quarterback comfortably. But the amount of overthrows that Brock Purdy has in one game, a lot of quarterbacks shouldn't have that in four or five games. Overthrows and underthrows, he's off target so many times that I have a really hard time trusting him. And there seems to be a public perception that Brock Purdy is a lot better than he actually is. And again, I'm not even shitting on Brock Purdy or Iowa State here. But I think that there is an overrated perception of Brock Purdy and Iowa State that I still want to see more of them. I don't trust them going forward as much as I trust Lincoln Riley. So, yeah, I'm fine with saying that the winner of that game can be three, but I still want to see what Iowa State does uh, next weekend. Again, going back to K-State really quickly before we move on here, do you think that they're a better team than West Virginia with Skylar Thompson? If they play on neutral field and and Skylar Thompson is playing that game, neutral field, Ten times does K State win at least six of those? Yes, I, I, I would, I would have told you even if they have Skylar Thompson yesterday and West Virginia wins that game, I still think K State's better. They, they're better on special teams. I think both defenses are pretty good. Maybe West Virginia has a slight edge. I, West Virginia, I said a couple weeks ago, that is the best defense in this conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how much it's going to win them, but I, I do think they have the best defense in the conference. But K State's offense just looks. Better. They they have a much more clear identity on offense, especially when they have Thompson. It's it feels like they know what they're doing. And so many times I watch West Virginia this this season, and I think, do you guys know who you are? Like they they tried to kick a fifty two yard field goal yesterday. I'm like, you're the, the kicker cannot kick a fifty two yard field goal. You have a good defense. Punt and pin somebody within the ten yard line and, and play defense. That's what you're good at. So it feels like they don't understand who they are a lot of the time. And K State, at least I think they know who they are. You know, lots of lots of tight end stuff. That kid they they got from Northern Iowa, Briley Moore. I mean, he's really really good. It's it just feels like they know who they are better. I would take them to win six or seven out of ten on a neutral field. The last question that I want to ask you is: You had I think it was 
last week or two weeks ago when you said, at what point do we start taking Oklahoma State seriously? And I think I had given it, I think I said maybe two or three weeks on the road if they win these games. That obviously didn't happen. Taking that same question and applying it to the G5, at what point do we start having a G5 conversation? Specifically, probably BYU and Cincinnati because those seem to be in the uh, the highest regard for public perception, and usually the committee reflects that perception. At what point do we need to start talking about them? BYU goes to Boise State uh, this weekend. Cincinnati has Houston, and then I believe Cincinnati gets ECU and UCF. Yep, ECU, ECU, UCF, Temple, and Tulsa to finish off for Cincinnati. Neither of those teams are going to have a great win. If BYU goes to Boise and pounds them, sure, we can talk about that. But at what point should we be talking about the G5, or are there too many other variables out of their control that we need to be settled in the next three or four weeks before they even enter this national conversation. I think it's fine for them to just be really good teams that are the maybe even like fringe top 10 or, or like mm-hmm. top 15 kind of teams without having to inject them into the whole playoff thing. Cause I don't, I just don't think that's reasonable to, to the, the amount of chaos they would need on the ACC scale and the SEC scale, which they might get. I mean, with everything going on with Clemson right now, it's not impossible. Uh, but the amount of stuff that Cincinnati in particular, since they're the high, more highly ranked team right now, that uh, they would need to go their way, just, it seems unlikely. It seems like that probably wouldn't happen. And I think the game at Tulsa at the end of the season, and to some degree the game at UCF as well. I mean, those are going to be challenging games, especially the Tulsa one. That's kind of sneaky challenging. But I don't know that that gets you the level of challenge you need to break through the ceiling into playoff contention. So I'm not even really thinking about it too heavily. I'm just, like, enjoying watching. I mean, Cincinnati's good, man. I watched. I mean, I, I watched and bet that Memphis game yesterday. Memphis isn't bad. They just beat UCF. Kind of a weird, fluky ending uh, where they came back and won like fifty to forty nine. Uh, but still, they're good. And Cincinnati pounded the crap out of them yesterday. So I mean, the Bearcats are good. I just don't know that they're they're going to be playoff good. I think it's a fair point, and maybe it just isn't a fair question. And it's probably one of those things. I was talking to Philip from the the uh, ten twelve podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and. He he wasn't complaining about this, but he was saying that he doesn't think that we, not you and I specifically, but just generally college football people, we put too much stock into the big picture of the playoff. And I, I, I'm, I definitely do this because I think playoff scenarios are absolutely fascinating. I want to talk about them all the time. But he made the good point of maybe we just don't appreciate everything that's below Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State and the dynasty that, that Clemson, Alabama have created even though that's kind of what the essence of college football is. It's all of those really, really good 8, 9, 10, 11 win teams that can threaten those playoff teams and make those playoff scenarios that interesting. And even though the outcome of our discussion is talking about the playoff scenarios, are we not appreciating just those really, really good teams enough? And it seems like that's the point you're making here with Cincinnati and BYU and then whoever else you want to throw into this conversation, that it's not really fair to have this playoff conversation with those teams and with whatever P5, 9, 10, 11 win teams that just don't really have the real chance to make it, whereas we just need to appreciate this season more than ever that we have a lot of really, really good teams in college football, and even though we can talk all day about who's that fourth best team, we can talk about how much Clemson has struggled the last two weeks, we can talk about Wisconsin's COVID issues and all of that, how that applies to the playoff, 
there's still a lot of really good 9, 10, 11 win teams in college football that just aren't going to make the college football playoff. I totally agree with Philip. Uh, yeah. And I think in some ways that's that's kind of the beauty of, of why the FCS had just, has such a hardcore niche following is the way they've set up that playoff on, on that other level of Division One is if you're good, if you're a top 20 kind of team, if you win your conference, you will play for a national championship. You will be in the bracket. So there, there is a simplistic kind of beauty to that, that the whole March Madness, like, win and you're in kind of thing. Uh, with FBS football, it's different, and it's a little more hegemonic, and, and I think in some ways that sucks, but in other ways I can appreciate that. And I think you do have to kind of tur- tune your brain this way, but once you get there, it's fine. It, it's, it's okay that Cincinnati's really good, and I get to watch them play some fun games, and they're going to destroy people. And they're not going to play for a playoff. Like, that's that's okay. I'm okay with that. And I think if you're a Cincinnati fan, you have to learn to be okay with that. I'm a West Virginia fan. West Virginia is probably never going to be in a playoff. It's probably never going to happen. I'm okay with that. It's fun to watch them beat Kansas State by 27, especially coming off a season where they were absolutely terrible. Wins are fun. And sometimes a win is just fun. There's no greater meaning. You can't tie it to a playoff. Like, it's... It just is what it is, and once you accept that, uh, it's fine. It's fun. We will be back on Thursday. That's November 5th episode available for download at 6 a.m. Central. We'll look at some Week 10 lines where you, sir, see some opportunities to cash in. Tweet at Chase, at Chase A. Kitty, or at the podcast, at High Motor Pod, if you have specific betting questions before then. And then we will be back here one week from now. That is Monday, the 9th, November 9th, to look back at what week 10 might have given us what the pac 12 gave us in week 10 where they might fit in moving forward and what's in store for week 11 thank you for dropping by thank you for checking out the high motor podcast i saw a friend today it had been a while and we forgot each other's names but it didn't matter because deep inside the feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between